Welcome to You News, the podcast, using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Thursday, December 10th. I'm Carolina Sarasa, and these are today's headlines. More than 3,000 people have died from COVID-19 here in the U.S. over the last 24 hours. The pandemic claiming American lives at a rate never seen before. The Pfizer vaccine just days away from approval here in the U.S. as inoculations continue in the U.K. while other countries begin receiving their own vaccine deliveries. And yet another legal challenge to the election. More than a dozen attorneys general in states won by Trump backing the president in a last-minute effort to overturn the election. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. The FDA is just hours away from a major decision that could change the course of this pandemic, granting Pfizer's vaccine an emergency use authorization. This as the country struggles Wednesday becoming the deadliest day so far. Hospitals nationwide at a breaking point. Lorraine Casares has the latest. The U.S. on Wednesday recording the deadliest day since the start of the pandemic. More than 3,000 people losing the battle against COVID-19. The virus now among the deadliest events in U.S. history, registering more deaths on consecutive days last week than those lost in Pearl Harbor. That's roughly 92 Americans reported dead every hour. The L.A. County Health Director breaking down in tears over the country's growing death toll. Over 8,000 people who were beloved members of their families are not coming back. The pandemic even hitting close to home for Dr. Anthony Fauci, who revealed his daughter's boyfriend lost his brother to COVID-19. So there you have a 32-year-old young man, uh, otherwise healthy, actually quite athletic and strong, who died. Uh, Very sad. It was very much made of a really saddens my, my daughter greatly. Cases are now reaching almost 15 million and a half and hospitalizations nationwide topping 104,000. A new analysis from the New York Times finding more than a third of Americans live in an area where there is a shortage of critical care ICU beds. This is nothing that I've seen before. It's relentless. It's every day. And as the country struggles to control infections, today possibly marking an important milestone, the FDA expected to grant Pfizer's vaccine an emergency use authorization. When the FDA does sign off, 2.9 million doses will be sent out across the country within 24 hours. For those hesitant to take the vaccine, Dr. Anthony Fauci stressing there are no corners being cut in the approval process. If the United States Food and Drug Administration says that a vaccine is safe and effective, I can promise you that I will take that vaccine myself and I will recommend that my family does that. And when the FDA grants Pfizer's vaccine an emergency use authorization, it will undergo much more months of further analysis and investigation. And that's going to include observation and evaluation of safety data specific to not only entire the entire population, but very specific to populations that were not included during the clinical trials, such as pregnant women or people that were just uh, underrepresented in these clinical trials. Back to you, Carolina. 
Thank you, Lorraine, for that live report. And joining me now is Kristen Choi. She's a registered nurse and an assistant professor at UCLA. She's also a participant in the Pfizer vaccine trial. Thank you so much for your time, Professor. Thank you for having me. Now you published a letter in a medical journal describing your experience during the vaccine trial. You, in fact, received and experienced adverse reactions after the second dose. Can you describe what happened to you? Yes, absolutely. So after I got the first injection, I didn't really notice anything out of the ordinary. It felt like a normal flu shot or, or any other shot you might receive. Um, after the second uh, injection, though, I started to develop some side effects. I had uh, chills, fatigue, headache, uh, nausea, and that turned into a fever later that same day. When I woke up the morning after the vaccine, I found that I had quite a high fever of 104.9 degrees. Um, at that point, I took some Tylenol, I drank some water, and fortunately, all of those effects went away almost that same day. Uh, and that was a signal to me that I possibly may have gotten the active vaccine, although I don't know for sure because it is a blinded study. Did the nurses who gave you the shot prepare you for the side effects? And as a nurse yourself, do you think people taking the vaccine should be aware of these side effects? Absolutely. They let me know uh, what to expect and what side effects could happen. But, you know, I think that when you're in the middle of a busy clinic visit, it can sometimes be hard for that really to sink in for people and to understand what that means and what it could look like. Uh, certainly, I didn't expect that I would be so sick that I would be in bed. And so for this new vaccine, I think it's very important that healthcare providers are ready to talk to patients about what to expect from the vaccine and what side effects could look like. Fortunately, most people will not have uh, serious side effects like I did. It looks like those are actually very rare. But even for folks who have milder side effects, um, it would be good for everyone to be prepared for what to expect so that they can feel confident about getting this vaccine. And considering what you experienced, would you do it again if you had to? Yes, absolutely. I would absolutely get the vaccine again, even if I knew I was going to have a strong reaction. Uh, and I would tell my family and friends and patients to do the same. Now, in the UK, to healthcare workers who were vaccinated experience allergic reactions. Is there a relation to the reaction that you had? You know, allergic reactions happen from time to time for many vaccines. Um, fortunately, those are extremely rare. For the vast majority of people, uh, they can possibly expect some normal vaccine side effects like what I experienced, fever, chills, those are very common, but allergic reactions are very rare. Now, in your case, and will vaccine trial participants need to get the real vaccine again or you guys are done for now? The study will continue uh, for a few more years. Uh, that's what's planned as a two-year study. And so we will all stay in the study and um, at this point continue to not know for sure whether we receive the vaccine or the placebo. It was great talking to you today. Thank you so much for your time. Kristen Choi, Pfizer vaccine trial participant, nurse and professor. Thanks again. Thank you for having me. Now, the FDA has granted an emergency use authorization for the first non-prescription over-the-counter COVID-19 test to be used at home. The FDA says anyone over 18 years old can buy the kit and collect nasal samples at home. Positive or invalid results are delivered by phone or through a healthcare provider. Users will be notified by email or through an online portal if results are negative. And Walmart is selling an at-home coronavirus test for $99. The test is only being sold online at walmart.com 
or from Sam's Club. First, you have to take an online health assessment, which will give you a doctor's order to take the test. The test kit will be, will be sent to your house. When you will do your own nasal swab and then send it back, you'll receive results via email between 24 to 48 hours after the lab receives your test. Meanwhile, the pandemic is continuing to hammer the economy. The pace of weekly jobless claims jumped last week. First-time claims for unemployment insurance totaled 853,000, an increase from the 716,000 total a week before. The Labor Department says the numbers reflect the jobs market struggles lately as coronavirus cases have spiked and local and state governments have imposed restrictions on some activities. And all 50 states in the District of Columbia have now certified their election results as the Electoral College processes continues their, their process. All this as dozens of lawsuits challenging the results have been dismissed or, con or continue to be pending. Andrea Linares has the latest. Another legal challenge to the election. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton suing Pennsylvania, Georgia, Michigan, and Wisconsin, all battleground states that went for Joe Biden. The Texas AG claims those states exploited the COVID-19 pandemic and flooded their people with unlawful ballot applications and ballots while ignoring statutory requirements as to how they were received, evaluated, and then counted. Paxton's lawsuit is now backed by 17 other states, each one by the president. We've seen no evidence of any type of widespread voter fraud across Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania AG Josh Shapiro's office says lawyers fighting for President Trump's campaign in Pennsylvania have seen 10 legal losses with only one win that was related to a procedural issue with voter IDs. However, Trump weighing in on the latest lawsuit tweeting, this is the big one, as Michigan's attorney general dismissed it as a publicity stunt. I feel bad for the taxpayers in Texas that have to finance this ridiculous and frivolous lawsuit. If the U.S. Supreme Court decides to hear the Texas case, President Trump has asked Senator Ted Cruz but to present night. it. Of the more than 50 pro-Trump lawsuits Iowa. challenging the 2020 election, 40 have been defeated in the nation's courts. Ten are still pending. As Trump and his allies deny reality, some of his cabinet secretaries are preparing to accept the result. Health and Human Services Secretary Alex Azar became the first to confirm he's met with President-elect Joe Biden's transition team. I've already met with the Biden transition team. We want to make sure they get everything that they need. Texas AG Ken Paxton is known to be a loyal Trump ally, but he faces a five-year-old indictment on felony securities fraud charges and is reportedly being investigated by the FBI for bribery and misuse of office. Paxton says he has not discussed a presidential pardon with the White House for his own legal troubles. In Miami, Florida, Andrea Linares, U News. Thank you, Andrea, for that report. And meanwhile, the transition team for President-elect Joe Biden is holding meetings with officials from Operation Warp Speed. They're also expected to announce another cabinet pick. Edwin Pitti has the latest on this. Edwin. 
Hi, Carolina. President Trump's vaccine distribution expert and the top scientist in the White House war speed operation, Dr. Monsef Slawi, is expected to meet with President-elect Joe Biden today to discuss vaccine distribution plans. Biden has pledged to distribute the 100 million doses in the first three months of his administration, which will require intense coordination. Dr. Slawi has said the vaccines will ship as soon as the emergency authorization is granted by the U.S. Food and Drug administration known as the FDA. The meeting is a critical next step in the transition process, which was delayed for weeks because of President Trump's false claims that the election was rigged, claims that he continues to spread through his Twitter account. Also today, President-elect Biden is set to nominate Catherine Tai to be the top U.S. trade envoy. If confirmed by the Senate, she would inherit a trade war with China and be responsible for repairing relations with allies. Biden's selection of Tai, who is Asian-American, reflects his promise to choose a diverse cabinet that reflects the makeup of the country. Biden will also travel to Atlanta, Georgia today to campaign for John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, the two Senate Democratic contenders in the Georgia runoff election taking place on January 5th. That election, Carolina, is important to Biden because the control of the U.S. Senate is at stake. Back to you. Thank you, Edwin, for that report from Washington, D.C. And now moving on, the U.S. Attorney's Office in Delaware is investigating Hunter Biden's tax affairs. President-elect Joe Biden's son says he was notified of the investigation Tuesday. Sources say investigators at the FBI and IRS have been helping prosecutors look into whether Hunter Biden violated tax and money laundering laws. The younger Biden says he used professional tax advisors to prepare his paperwork and says it was done legally. And President Trump's VA secretary is under investigation for criminal conduct, according to the report in the Washington Post. The Inspector General for the Department of Veteran Affairs is reportedly recommending the prosecution of Secretary Robert Wilkie. He has been accused of allegedly orchestrating a cover-up of sexual assault at a VA facility in Washington. The charges may include obstruction of justice as well as perjury. In October, top Democrats also accused Wilkie of misusing taxpayer funds to benefit President Trump's re-election campaign. And Rudy Giuliani, President Trump's personal attorney, has left the hospital after spending four days for coronavirus treatments. He gave the media a thumbs up Wednesday evening outside Georgetown University Hospital. Giuliani says doctors gave him some of the same drugs the president took. That same treatment is primarily experimental and not available to the majority of COVID-19 patients here in the U.S. More of your news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The effects of COVID-19 will be felt for decades to come. Both parties are very far apart. Approximately 250,000 people have lost their lives. Your news covers the news of your world. It makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. Your news on Fusion. Welcome back to U News. 
The homicide of a Latino soldier has become a mystery. Paratrooper Enrique Roman Martinez went missing about seven months ago. And now a couple of days ago, an autopsy found that he was decapitated. It was a brutal crime and many questions still remain. And joining us today are Griselda Martinez, his Enrique's sister, and Dustin Collier, their family attorney. Thank you so much for your time. Griselda, first of all, I am so sorry for your loss. It has to be a very difficult time for your mother, for yourself, and your Enrique's big sister. Can you describe him for us? Yeah. Um, Enrique was a really gentle uh, person. He um, didn't like to fight. He wasn't um, an antagonist. He was um, very generous, very sweet, very smart. Um, he cared so much about his friends and about people in general. He really cared about uh, people and how they felt. He wanted to be a psychologist who would later develop, uh, you know, uh, pharmaceuticals to help people with uh, depression. Um, he loved our family more than anything. We were very close. Um, he was just a good person. He loved nature. He was like a hippie. He loved tie-dye, um, he wanted peace. It's kind of funny that he uh, joined the army. We all asked him not to. We knew that he just was too good. But he always told us that he was always ready to fight for his country and die for it if he had to one day. And this is what they do to him. He was gonna come home in three months that's all he had left. He, I, we wonder all the time if he tried to fight back, but he couldn't because he had just had surgery on his legs and he was still recovering from it. And it's hard knowing what a good person my brother was, knowing how he would never hurt anyone. It's terrible what they did to him. We said that we are looking at pictures of your family. The holidays are coming up. We spoke to your mother a couple of days ago. How is she holding up? It's really hard for her. You know, like she says, um, what hurt the most is knowing that his little eyes are gone. That he'll never look at her and tell her, Mom, I love you. And a lot of people don't understand just how hard that is. We couldn't see him one last time. There was no last goodbye. There was nothing. All we're left is just sleepless nights, wondering what happened. Was he in pain? Did he know he was gonna die that night? Did he trust his friends? Like what, what truly happened? But, he didn't deserve this. He always was so generous. Um, he donated toys. I don't understand why this happened to him. People from everywhere have com communicated with us and they met him once or twice in basic training or AIT. And they tell us that Roman was a good person. He was funny, he was chill. And more than anything, he was understanding of people. He was never the kind to hold a grudge. 
And if you had a grudge with him, he would just say, okay, well, that's your problem, not mine. But he wouldn't stop being kind. He said that and every day we wonder, why pain. did this happen to him? Yeah. I can only imagine it's your pain. Horrible. It has to be a very difficult time for your family. And this question goes for Dustin, your attorney. You're also, they're also investigating the deaths of two bodies found last week in a four-rack training area. Are those connected, do you believe? We have no idea. One of our uh, big frustrations with this whole situation is that it's been many months since uh, Enrique was lost. And we have very few answers uh, from the Army, from the CID office, as to what actually transpired. Um, and yes, the two murders last week are uh, obviously alarming. Uh, they're particularly alarming that they occurred on base. It's rather brazen uh, that someone left these bodies out in the training area to be found. Uh, and we have no idea if they're connected to the crime, in part uh, because the Army won't disclose to us who was with Enrique when he was killed. Uh, we do know that there was a sergeant on the camping trip with Enrique. Uh, we don't know if it is the same sergeant that was murdered last week. But we also know that the FBI, which is providing some support to the investigation task force, uh, began re-interviewing suspects last week. Uh, so the timing is a rather remarkable coincidence. The FBI starts re-interviewing people, two more bodies turn up on base. Um, and it, it is it, it brings back echoes of what happened at Fort Hood and how things sort of spiraled out of control as they started to tighten the noose on suspects. And are you satisfied with the investigation conducted by authorities so far on this case, Dustin? Uh, we are not. Uh, we actually just wrote uh, to a few members of Congress and the FBI last week uh, to ask that the FBI take the lead uh, in conducting this homicide investigation and also to request that Congress open an inquiry into CID, that's the Army's Criminal Investigation Division. We want Congress to take a look at the way they handled this in the same way that they are holding hearings and scrutinizing the handling of the Fort Hood cases, uh, because we believe a lot of the same problems exist in this investigation. Um, one particular concern that we have is that Enrique was reported missing on May 23rd, that's the Saturday of the Memorial Day weekend, um, but the command officer who received that report did not report it to the Criminal Investigation Division for almost two full days. Uh, so that was 48 hours that the perpetrators had uh, to clean up their tracks, dispose of evidence, uh, dispose of the body. Um, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, that's critical investigation time period that was lost. I could give several more examples of, of ways in which, particularly early on, uh, they didn't seem to take this seriously or urgently. And as a result, some evidence appears to have been lost, uh, possibly forever. Well, thank you so much for your time, Griselda Martinez, and your attorney, Dustin Collier, for your time today. And I hope justice is done soon. Thank you so thank much. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thanks for listening to U News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow U News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review.